Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This is Rob's Observations. I am Rob Liefeld. I have been making comic books my thing for 34 years. I write them, I draw them, I ink them. I um, have, have worked for every major publisher. I was uh, one of the gentlemen who was fortunate enough to start the label of Image Comics, which brings you uh, such great comics as Walking Dead and Saga and Savage Dragon. And uh, I've been doing this podcast thing, and I, I love that you guys listen to me, and I think we are in for a really fun show today. I, I, I've been around the business, um, again, consuming comics since I was seven years old, those spinner racks. I've tried to recreate that spinner rack in my office. It has comic books on it that I bought from all the haunts that I frequented when I was a kid. So, so when you see my spinner rack, and again, for those of you who are saying, what is spinner rack? Spinner rack is a metal, uh, basically series of shelves, four sides. Mine has 12 rungs and they put magazines and they put comics on them. And they were in every drugstore, uh, market, uh, grocery store, uh, you know, mini market, like 7-Eleven stop and go, you towed them. And that's how I encountered comics. So since seven years old, I've been, I've been pulling those off. The spinner racks, I was sad when they went to shelves in the mid-80s and then eventually gone from most outlets. But since seven, you know, I have been consuming comic books. So we're looking at a at a 46-year romance and a 34-year career. So this is this is a ton of fun. Uh, I, I love doing this. And today we are going to have some fun with a great topic, which speaks to the networking of comic books, the networking of comic books. And I, and I, I've really, um, began to, to understand how, how much deeper this network runs now that we have included the social media component when you can virtually knock on anyone's door. And when I mean anyone, you can attempt, I mean, you may not be successful, but you can attempt to send Tom Cruise a message. Okay. You could tweet at him with an at, uh, you, you can, you can, uh, you know, try and DM him to see if his DMs are open or closed, or if it's going to go to a, uh, you know, a, 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 a place where they, they are collected for him to see if he chooses to p- turn that on at another time. Uh, you know, I mean, literally, I that, the, uh, about a year ago, I stumbled onto hundreds of unread messages sent to me on Facebook that are not from people that I know or are from people that I'm, I'm not friends with. And so, so those goes, go into a different stack. And in some of them were some really interesting messages. The chief among them was a page, uh, from John Byrne in the, from the X-Men, a guy had, uh, DM'd me via Facebook and offered it to me first. And I never saw it. And he ended up selling it. And I'm sure he sold it for a lesser price. It is regretful to me that I did not uh, make that connection and that there was not, not more of an attempt, you know, to reach me, of course, let's follow this through. If if he had maybe gone on my page or one of my pages and sent a message or made a post saying, Rob, I've sent you a DM. Okay. Now there's a, there's a next level of door knock. You're past the gate. Okay. And now you're on the door knocking. Now, uh, again, it, it's, it's up to me if I'm going to open that door based on whether I hear the door knocking. And now, you know, the ring, you know, the ring is here. So, so maybe, maybe people are walking away from my house, having gotten past the gate in, in this scenario, uh, gotten to the door, uh, rung the doorbell, but I didn't hear the ring. 
All I get to now see is is them walking away from the camera because I didn't hear uh, the, the, the noise either from the doorbell or the alert on my phone via the ring because my dog was out on a walk and he normally alerts me to all this stuff when he barks. So there is so many ways that you can attempt to get to people that you may not be friends with. That's how social media works, right? You're either a friend or a follower and, uh, and, and you put requests in. What is it? Facebook, you request. Uh, uh, um, you know, Twitter, you follow. Instagram, you follow. Unless it's private, then you're sending in a request. So there's all manner of ways that we can reach each other. And like I said, man, none bigger than Mr. Tom Cruise in my mind. You know, you're trying to maybe, no, I have not. If you're thinking that I have, no, I have, I have not attempted. <laughs> I have not attempted to to uh, <laughs> get past the gate, get to the door and get on his ring via, in, in regards to the social media of it all. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, go, I didn't send a message and then, and then try and post an at. And then, you know, it's pretty funny. But so, so this this is how I am seeing the networking of 2021. Look, we don't have comic conventions. You really can't show your portfolio. You can't um, submit your screenplay, your story. It, it, it's, it's all being virtually done. I don't have a Zoom component where I, you know, uh, am, am available for Zooms at a certain time of day. And, and, and it, it, it really has, has me considering kind of the ups and downs, the advantages, disadvantages of what networking looks like, obviously not just in comics, but for our purposes here, we're going to talk comics today. And then at the end of the show, we're going to, we're going to pivot to style. Okay. So today is about networks and styles. These are the things that are on my mind, but I'm going to talk to you about my networking, the networking that I've experienced, how the networking was done in the mid eighties. Okay, because I started going to comic conventions, which is where the only networking you were going to get done could be done back then. Again, you know, the, let, let's remember for our you know purposes, social media is 12, 13 years old. You know, I always I, I was an early adopter, 2008 to Twitter. Okay, uh, a year later to Instagram, um, uh, about 2008 on on Facebook. So, so, you know, I, I was, I was there before that I was at, I was on message boards. So that was kind of the pre-social media way that you could hang out and talk with others in the business, like-minded people. But again, none of that existed in the eighties where you had to locate conventions and, uh, hope that you could, um, you know, be as friendly with, or, um, get some inner, inner interaction with comic book professionals. So again, in my area, there was no one network. I had no one I could go get an internship with. I've covered this on my on my uh, on my iPod, I, this podcast before, and you have to understand as early as 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 late as 1984, there was not a significant comic book talent who had pitched their tent in Southern California. Uh, Thousand Oaks was where Jack Kirby was. Everyone knew it. He was, he had become a Southern California resident. Jack was a legend. Um, and his networking story is one we're going to examine with, with Mark Evanier and, and how that was a launch pad for, for, for Mark Evanier. But other than Jack, who really wasn't part of a studio system, he was a one man, you know, creative engine like no other. And, and, and Thousand Oaks was 90 minutes from my house. So so uh, that's a that's a three-hour trip, you know, to go and try and knock on a guy's door and try and solicit 
attention as a teenager, I, I don't think that would have been well received. So Jack was the guy who had um, pitched his, you know, uh, you know, planted his flag, planted his flag out here, and 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 a couple of writers. I knew Marv Wolfman made the made his way west, but as far as artists, the guys that I looked up to, the guys that I consumed, George Perez, Walt Simonson, Frank Miller. John Byrne, these guys are all East Coast based. They're they're East Coast based. I I know this because I read the interviews, and their interviews, uh, you know, discuss and talk of where they live. And one guy will say I'm in Florida. One guy I'm, I'm in New Jersey. One guy you know I'm in I'm in upstate New York. Okay, so so I knew that there weren't any Southern California people. And then they they started coming out, and I would always ask when I'd wait in a line at a comic store to get signatures. Um, or, or, or to try and buy some art from George Perez, who, as I've mentioned several times, he liked Southern California. He liked coming out here. He liked coming out here for, for weekends. As I got to know him better, and as I would wait in line and, and, and get my five minutes of FaceTime, I would always ask him if, if, if he wanted to move out to, to, to Southern California because, you know, little Robbie Liefeld was looking for, for some cool comic book people to make connections with. So I'm trying to network at 14, 15, 16, okay? Same as you guys. Because many of these early, if it's 1983, you know, I am being driven to that to that signing. I did not get my license until, you know, October of 1984. That's when I turned 16, and 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 so so anything prior to that, I am being driven to. So once my dad uh, accompanied me to my first San Diego Comic Con, I was able to then go um, on my own via a train drive with friends or obviously summer 1984 I was able to drive myself and the entire time as a comic book penciler aspiring comic book artist uh, going through the creative door as an artist as a penciler I was trying to make connections I was trying to get as much information as I possibly could about this business that I wanted to be a part of and I had collected as many interview magazines and how-to books to try and best understand the manner with which I could go about doing this, understanding that Marvel Comics was operating in DC Comics um, exclusively out of their their New York uh, offices at the time, and so you know, again, v- very few Southern California people existed. I would, um, you know, any time that there were a couple animators who um, guys who I'd seen their name in comic books in the '70s, but they now were animators, like a Rick. Hoberg. I went to a comic book store that was kind of having a kind of a, 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 a swap meet kind of flea market of talent, like 10 or 12 kind of local animators and, and kind of pro, pro-am guys. And Rick Hoberg was probably the most accomplished of them. And I liked Rick's work. I'd seen his name on books going back as far as Star Wars. He, uh, he had drawn a bunch of what ifs. He, uh, he, he, he was doing fill-in issues, annuals, all the time on, on different Marvel comics. Then he went over and did some All-Star Squadron. And, and so I was more familiar with Rick than anybody there uh, among the other kind of uh, animation talents. But Rick Hoberg had come out here to become an animator. And now animation was what he was doing full-time. So comic books was not something in 1983-84 you know, where, where, that, that, that Rick was a priority to him. He, lay, he later... Uh, did some creator-owned work through Eclipse Comics, but again, he lived in LA, and you know, um, still nothing towards Orange County, which was funny to me because we were having so many shows in Orange County. Uh, there were there were shows at the Disneyland Hotel Ballroom constantly, and I've 
uh, expressed prior that George Perez, Jim Shooter, John Romita Jr., Dave Cockrum, Chris Claremont, Len Wein, some big names came through consistently or always uh, coming down to the the Orange County area for very well-attended shows. And yet no one was relocating or living out of here. And again, in my few you know, conversations with them, I was away, I was available that they are very happy in their East Coast existence. So if someone was going to get it done and make it happen, I guess it would have to be me. That's why I was thinking like maybe hopefully I'll break in and I can be one of the first because other than animators and Jack Kirby on his magic hill that he lived, lived in, 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 in Thousand Oaks, you know, I am not going to make these connections that I'm seeking. And everyone that I talked to and, and, and the, the, the network, the limited network that I had was all East Coast based. Now, George Perez would be, for, for whatever reason, I found favor with George. He he liked me. And what I believe is what separated me from the pack, and here's a secret ingredient because this is gonna we're going to come back to this throughout the show. Um, he saw my talent. He saw my art. He saw me presenting him storytelling pages. There is a four or five page story I did with Changeling slash Beast Boy where he's walking through the park with his girlfriend and um, some aliens attack. And I had those um, pages with me. I had some other sequential art. What sequential art immediately tells people is that you want to tell stories. You're like them. They want to tell stories. You want to tell stories. Uh, a portfolio of brilliant pinups and illustrations uh, is going to tell me that maybe you want to do book covers, uh, movie posters, or now, I mean, there's an entire industry of comic book cover artists. I understand that. And and that is a different uh, niche of, of artist. It does not speak to the lack of or the abundance of talent. Uh, it is just more of single images. Uh, that That is more of a cover slash pinup uh, persuasion. That, 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 that's, a, that's a vocation different than telling stories. And I've had guys who are very impressive painters and who, who, who come out, they show me their work. And I say, well, you're really more geared towards, because I'm trying to identify what I see in their work and how either difficult or how um, easy it will be to, to, to get them work. I, I obviously I have a pipeline of publishing for, for my own work. It's inconsistent nowadays, but if I wanted to publish your work, I could tomorrow in a heartbeat. Uh, or, or I could network and help you get an assignment. So when I look at somebody who's just got single images, whether they're black and white, whether they're color, airbrush, um, digitally you know, created, and it's just single images, I will identify you as someone who seeks to do covers and or pinups. And often lately, the response that I have received prior to the pandemic getting out there, interacting with people in real life, as I say this to them, that you are a cover or pinup guy, they'll go, well, is there, is, is, is there... Uh, uh, an, an opening for me, like like immediately jumping in, like yes, I have identified you correctly. They do not want to tell stories; they want to do this. And and do I have a network that I can share with them, or an opportunity to get them to do this on their own and 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 to help them out? Now, I have never shied away from helping anybody out if the talent is there, because the talent is what is what leads everything. The talent is what breaks down the barriers. And I can only imagine that as a young man, along with my persuasive winning personality, George Perez saw in me that uh, I wanted to tell stories. And he saw me over and over and over again. He saw me when I was 13, when I was 14, when I was 15, when I was 16. 
and he saw the advancement in my work, and he saw that I was working towards my craft, and he saw probably that I was a huge, that he was a giant influence on my storytelling and my drawing. And so I think George, I was I was fortunate that I found favor with him. He gave me his phone number. He started calling me. We had long talks. It was it was so much fun to interact with someone as generous as George Perez, who just so happened to be on any given day my favorite comic book artist. So he was a de facto mentor, but definitely the opening of a network to, to, to me. By the time I was 17, I've covered this before, I was picking him up at the John Wayne Airport in Santa Ana and driving him to his suite at the Disneyland Hotel for him to appear the next few days. And I would run errands for him. I'd go make copies of some Wonder Woman pages that he wanted to show at his table, but he didn't have time before he caught the plane. And so I was more than happy to facilitate him. Was that building me a network of goodwill with George Perez? It was. It absolutely 100% was. And I was thrilled because I loved George. He was a kind man. He was a generous man. He continued to be both uh, and continues to this day to be both. And I love that I have memories that go back to my early teens with him along those lines. Now, I never asked George for a job, but he would openly give me um, great advice and encouragement in regards to how I was approaching each of my storytelling pages. I, I knew from talking to so many people, I would stand off to the side of so many different tables, and maybe you've done the same, where an editor is looking at someone's work or a writer or another artist, and man, there is, I mean, it is soup to nuts out there, guys. I mean, <laughs> you are, some guys are brutal. I have seen guys raise their voice, tear into guys, just emasculate their work, just tear it to shreds. And, uh, you know, you sit there and you go, wow, but, but for the grace of God, go go me. I, I'm not showing my work to that guy, right? And, uh, and, and then I've seen very instructional people. I myself have tried to um, be as helpful as I possibly can if I take a chance and look at your work. I want to try and find the most positive aspect of your work that I can in order to give you the most encouragement and along with that, instruct you on how to maybe better your work. But that is really just portfolio review stuff. But how do you get it deeper than networking? Well, you pick up the cues. I had seen people argue with people, the guy who raised the voice, other people who are kindly giving advice. I've seen the people who are presenting their work really argue with the editors and the artists giving them advice. And, and some sometimes it, it comes off so poorly on the person who is submitting. And they're, oh, you don't even understand what I'm doing here. Wrong. The work either speaks for itself or it doesn't. If you're having to argue in order to impress the person that you want to give them the job, you've failed. Take your licks, take the criticism, go and apply it to the next page. And as a young boy, in teenage years, I would stand up to the side and I would learn so much by not submitting my work at all. I watched everyone else submit work. But are you open? Are you growing? So when I would take criticism that I saw given to other people, you know, the, the, the samples that I got hired with Nobody threw a punch. There's not a single punch thrown on the eight pages that I showed. It's different interactions. Does, guy, does a guy reach out and pull some wires off some guy's suit? Does he jump over a table? Do they lift weights? Do they run down the hall? Um, but my camera moves all over the place. It is a lot of talking heads, but two distinct environments. A lot of emotions on the faces, reactions. But that was basically, and, and, and showing that I could draw full figure, close-ups, medium shots. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a ton of fun in, in order to create this scenario, which my character 
is trying out to join this superhero club of which he is boasting and being overly dramatic in why they should hire him. The guy jumps over the table, shows how easy it is to dismantle all the hanging wires off his costume. The guy has a temper tantrum, threatens he'll be back. Uh, The characters then kind of reconcile that that, that that didn't go so well today, all all the characters that they saw. Then they go to the gym, they start working out. In their workout clothes, the alarm sounds, they change back into their hero costumes, and they show up for the debriefing, and that is the sum total of the samples that I sent in, that I got hired by Marvel from, okay? But I did that because I saw some guys are just drawing, one guy who got ripped to shreds once was just drawing a Spider-Man fight with the Green Goblin in the sky, all of the perspective was off, uncomfortably so, the uh, figures had anatomical issues, but other than the the Green Goblin face that he had was more reflective of, and this is years before the movie, but more reflective of the Sam Raimi um, Green Goblin in that the the expression was frozen on the face of Goblin, no matter what angle. It was like just a plastic mask of Green Goblin, not an expressive, you know, so, so you really had two mask guys, no other um, female, older male, older female, kids, anything. And, and and the re, re, the advice given to this person was, you know, show me some people talking. Give me Peter Parker talking to Joan, J. Jonah Jameson, getting an assignment, walking out the bugle frustrated, you know. And, and, and this guy argued that, that the basis of these pages alone should be what gets him hired. So... I, and, and it was ugly and it was it was it was a bad you know exchange. I felt bad for the guy. I was embarrassed for him. I, I've never seen him in comics again. I think if that's kind of how he was gonna handle it, it wasn't gonna end well for him regardless if he didn't understand that he needed to, to grow more. So again, that's an example of me learning and applying when I got home because you can learn a lot of lessons by watching, okay? And behavior. So co- the combination of these, was the kind of what uh, was was my ally in getting to know not people not just people like George Perez but later when I would start going to the Chicago Comic Con and getting into the Midwest and meeting the talent out there was when I met guys like Jerry Ordway. Jerry Ordway had started off as an inker in the comic book business and then had become one of its most accomplished talented pencilers. All Star Squadron, Infinity Inc a huge run on Superman, Fantastic Four. But in the middle, he inked George Perez on Crisis on Infinite Earths, and he inked John Byrne on Fantastic Four. And he was one of the most coveted finishers, embellishers, as well as one of the best pencilers in the comic book business. Uh, Jerry did a book through Image Comics called Wildstar. Maybe you know him from there. He's been around a long time. He's ridiculously nice guy, ridiculously talented guy. I can only uh, think that, again, the combination of the talent that I was putting on display and the desire to tell stories and a humble, contrite um, demeanor was what helped me, you know, um, become friendly with Jerry Ordway to the point where when I visited New York on my first assignment for Hawk and Dove, my first series assignment, he invited me to stay with him in Connecticut. And I did. I stayed in his guest room and I was able to see where he had his drawing table and watch him do this incredible amount of work. Watch him... uh, pencil and ink and and share stories and we went out and we had pizza and we got burgers and we went to the movies we went over to mike zek's house mike zek of the punisher of captain america of master of kung fu I, I knew mike from the exact same way i knew jerry i had seen him at shows mike had come out to a couple san diegos in 84 85 
He had a um, inker that, that that they did almost everything together. John Beatty, another really fun, um, big personality, really generous guy. John Beatty is, uh, you know, is is uh, hanging out with Mike twenty four seven. They do, they did Captain America and, and and Secret Wars together, and they took uh, a liking to me. They drew in my sketchbooks. They wrote me funny notes. I, they took me to the Marvel party, and I fell asleep in a. Um, in a in a you know folding metal chair at the, at the at the in the ballroom that Marvel was holding their 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 you know San Diego Comic Con party that year and they they would nudge me and say you're a real party animal you're a real West Coast party animal and uh, next to my Captain America bust that Mike drew in my book he put Captain America saying you're a real West Coast party animal to this day I open that and I giggle I, I laugh because you know I'm just a 16 17 year old kid. But uh, they saw they saw my pages. They saw the talent. They saw maybe the opportunity to befriend me. And both Jerry and Mike, both times when they looked at my work, said, "You're a real Perez fan, aren't you?" And I said, "Yes." And later on, they would go, oh, "I see a little Art Adams creeping into your work." Yes, both on both counts. They challenged me to broaden my horizons, to familiarize myself with the guys that they liked so much. Uh, during this period, Brian Boland, uh, British amazing artist who did Camelot 3000, Judge Dredd, a million amazing covers for Marvel and DC. Just one of the most uh, acclaimed pencilers, illustrators, inkers of all time. Um, Mike Zeck was showing how he was really checking out his work and applying a lot of his inking technique to his own work. It wasn't his drawings and his storytelling that that, that, that he was taking from Boland. It was this very specific, very tight um, render, uh, render style that Mike was... Uh, applying to his own style, mixing it in with what he did. And this came out in these black and white Punisher plates, uh, 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 portfolio plates that Mike did uh, at the end of the eighties and, or the middle of the end of the end of the end, end middle end of the eighties where he put out this beautiful Punisher plate. But again, uh, Jerry Ordway showed me what Wally Wood, who I already knew was a huge influence on him. Wally Wood is one of the classic masters gone far too soon. Died at a very young age. But the body of work that he did, from Daredevil to the Thunder Agents and everything in between, uh, Sky Masters, uh, Jerry would show me just the the lengths of which he was influenced by Wally Wood and the things to um, look at in terms of lighting and, and cast shadows. And so I picked up everything from these guys. And that was a benefit of the networking that I had done by being polite, kind, humble, um, knowing my place. I guess more than anything... I knew my place. I didn't try and interrupt them. I didn't try and impose my stories on them. I listened. I listened. I learned. I had a friendly demeanor. And I would come back and show them what I had learned from them each time. So I wanted to show that I'm a sponge. I am taking this information that I am so fortunate to get from you and I'm turning it back. All I can give you is my own personal experiences. You know, along the way, I'm working with Carl Kiesel. I stay with Carl Kiesel when he is in New York and uh, in Connecticut himself, I did my Connecticut kind of circuit. I, I stayed with Carl first, then I then I ended up with Jerry Ordway, then I ended up with my exec, then I was back at the Kiesels, and then I flew home. It was a week in New York. It was so much fun. It included a couple trips up to, to DC Comics, but I got so much from these guys, and it was a result of the networking that I put forth. Now, were they the only guys that I was friendly and, and, and had a demeanor with and showed my work? Of course not, but not everybody responds the same. I could tell that there were guys that, frankly, I annoyed. I absolutely was annoying to a certain style of personality. 
Now, what unites Jerry Ordway and Mike Zek and John Beatty is their chill factor. They're extremely 100% chill. They're chill guys. Now, I supply more of the hyperactive energy in those relationships. George Perez is high energy. He is high energy. He is he, he may match and or exceed my own hyperactive energy. But the chill factor in Jerry and Mike, they're just really down-to-earth guys. They didn't, as incredible as the work that they put out, and by the time that I'm meeting Mike Zek and Jerry Ordway, obviously George Perez as well, I have hundreds, hundreds of their pages in my collection in the comics they've done. I bought every Jerry Ordway job, every Mike Zek job, every George Perez job. These guys were incredibly down to earth. They didn't act holier than thou, mightier than thou. They didn't act like they had a platform that made them um, inaccessible to people like myself, who I most definitely was a fan. I was a fan who wanted to be a pro. I had work. I had storytelling. I had pages. I could show my portfolio. portfolio. I would go upstairs to my hotel room. The next day, I'd show new layouts. I'd I'd show them where I am listening to what they're telling me. I also knew when to walk by their table and maybe if they looked exasperated or tired, to just keep walking and not camp myself and sit there 24-7. George Perez would invite me to sit next to him while he did um, sketches and commissions and signed. And he would talk to me about inkers he liked, inkers he didn't like. He told me, you know, how rushed certain jobs were, how 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 some deadlines didn't work out the way he wanted. He, sh- he, he shared with me that on some jobs, he was inking certain faces or elements before he shipped them off to the inker because he really wanted so bad that those um, pages reflect exactly what he saw in regards to the final ink line, but he couldn't ink the whole thing. So I got a lot of great stories out of George, out of all these guys, because the, the, the you know they were uh, open to my learning from them and being friendly with them and respectful for them. I didn't, you know, hang around and, 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 and extend. I didn't wait three hours. I sat 45 minutes next to George, felt like it was probably time to move on, not to take up too much of his time. And I excused myself and I said, hey, I'll, I'll see you later. I, I'd maybe swing back in the afternoon. I'd check by. I'd say, hey, how you doing? Um, was I buying sketches from all these gentlemen as well? Of course. So maybe that's an extra added incentive in regards that I don't really give enough um, credit to that I was also doing a transaction with them. But that doesn't get you uh, overnight at their house um, you know, in, in Connecticut when you're doing a visit and you're in your first few months in the comic book industry in 1987 and 1988. Okay, that that's... That's a byproduct of the, the 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 relationship that was established again that was built on uh, respect and and uh, and and kindness, humility, and and also just uh, just the chill factor. Okay, were there other guys like I said that I would just go by their table for ten minutes and the vibe was um, get the f away from me as fast as you possibly can, kid. You bug me. I don't like your energy. I don't like the things that come out of your mouth. Even though the things that came out of my mouth were just as effusive. In regards to praise and or curiosity, maybe I would look at a page and say, did you use a brush on this or did you use a crow quill? Because again, in terms of tools, without someone in Orange County, Southern California to watch and learn from, I am trying desperately to learn what can I get at my, my local art store. The one thing we had great, great abundance about here in Orange County because the colleges had really terrific art courses were these two kick-ass art supply stores in Orange County that everybody frequented. I mean, on a Saturday, I would go there and spend two hours going up and down every aisle, whether it was the tables, the portfolios, the different paper. It wasn't just pads. These places had had paper that you could buy off the roll. All of the different inking 
um, applications, the tools, much more than more so than now with with the with the shift to digital. Obviously, the amount of supplies that are being created are less than ever. So these amazing art supply companies that I had accounts at both, you know, uh, go in and get my pins. I would always frequent them, wondering what this line would give in terms of this tool, and how would this paper reflect this lead. So I learned. I learned from Jerry what he inks with. What Mike, you know, Mike Zek, what he inks with. George Perez showed me the pens that he used. Um, when I'm asked on Instagram what pens I'm using, I, I generally try and show you guys so that you can maybe, if that's what you want, is to try and uh, recreate that that same kind of line work. Here's the tool. It's always going to come down to the hand that 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 utilizes the tool, but most definitely, the tools are important. They're they, they you know, especially when it comes to inking tools. It's a much more specific uh, set of 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 tools that you want to use. And so, you know, I don't ever plan on going digital. That's not uh, a future I want to participate in. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to continue to um, draw on paper with pens. And, and, and as long as I'm able, that's what I'll do. So so tools still matter to me and they mattered back then. And I got so much insight from these guys. Now, uh, over the years, I became the Mike Zek and the Jerry Ordway and the George Perez in that I was able to meet with young talent and take them in. And, and the benefiting, their networking with me now benefited them in the same way that my networking with George and Jerry and Mike Zek benefited me. And then there are instances where as I was breaking in, before I got a job, I would go to these once a month LA conventions. I talked I talked with Marat Michaels when he was on the show. Uh, and, 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 and Marat, who started out his career as my assistant, his the assistant job, as much as it entailed transferring my rough layouts to 11 by 17 size or erasing a page or filling in black areas or ruling them. Um, because when I'm penciling anything, the entire job, I've got to, you know, rule out those, those, those borders and the gutters. Well, most of the time it was, let's talk comics. Marat and I would jam. We'd talk comics, um, amidst all the different hours that we worked together. I knew when Marat got there, he needed to leave generally around five every day. So I maximized the time that I had with him as best as I could. Would that include a great lunch? Would that include maybe some, you know, basketball at the park? It would. You know, we're sitting all day. We're working all day. It was fun to get out and to just, you know, uh, uh, live life a little in, 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 in addition to all the, all the work we were doing. But I met Marat at these conventions and he had his portfolio. And uh, he was kind of a quiet, shy kid. But if you got him going, Marat would, would talk some smack. It was fun. Because he's he's an LA kid and he he he, <laughs> he had some good he had some good one liners he, he had a great uh, sense of humor he had a great personality and uh, we were both pursuing the same kind of styles he was he was younger than me but we were both eating up George Perez Art Adams and John Byrne we met another kid I think Murat reminded when when he was on here his name was Nick maybe Nick Goodich is is from memory and Nick was able to duplicate. Uh, the inking line more than anything of when Art Adams would ink himself, whether it was on his covers, on Longshot, or on the pages that he inked of himself, on the interiors and in the X-Men books. And uh, it, it was cool, but but Nick's proportions were a little off, his his sizing, he, he didn't he never really told stories. He did a lot of pinups. So this comes back to storytelling. What Marat would do is Marat would show storytelling pages. He showed Starfire of the Teen Titans. He showed all different manners. He had his own characters flying through, you know, different environments, buildings, conversations, fights. Um, Marat was a sponge. He wanted to learn. 
So when I broke in and I started, you know, logging jobs, and by the time I was in for a few years and I was in the New Mutants, you know, world, I extended to him and his friend if they wanted to try out and be, um, you know, assistants, hang out in my st studio, in my office. We'll make my office a studio by adding more people to it. Well, uh, Marat uh, exceeded when his friend did not. His friend was uh, less reliable and um, not as talented. And, and, and so Marat was reliable and more talented. I immediately floated to Marat and Marat and I engaged on a relationship that continues now, it feels like 38 years, maybe more. Um, but, and, and, and do I learn from Marat uh, in, in, in 2021? I do. I call Marat, I pick his brain. That relationship continues. Marat's a great storyteller. Marat's a great artist, great renderer. He always could take whatever rendering was there and kind of surpass. His pencils were lush. The lead, it was, it was just, he really had a way with his technique. He was much cleaner. In, in the way he approached his page than I was. So so after being my assistant for several years, of course I gave him an opportunity. He listened to me. I, I, I gave him layouts early on. I inked over his work to try and correct maybe some, some to, to, to give quicker corrections and to get him further to where he wanted to be than he would have been otherwise by showing him, this is how I'm going to adjust this nose, this eye, this mouth. Okay, the kid's a teenager. I'm just a cut above a teenager. I'm 20, 21, 22. It, during this period. But prior to that, I had met Jim Valentino of Normal Man, of Myth Adventures. Jim had been on the independent comic scene. This is my first Orange County talented dude. So this is right before, about a year and a half, two years before Marat enters the picture. I am uh, now at Marvel. When I meet Jim, I have done Hawk and Dove. I have a resume. When I meet him through a mutual friend, he uh, is familiar barely with my work. And we uh, get to know each other. I got to know Jim's entire family. I hit it off with Jim. Our personalities were simpatico. I loved Jim. He had great stories. He loved to tell stories. He loved to impart his wisdom from all of the different people that he knew. And he knew so many people. Having had published work since the very early 80s with Normal Man, which if you've never checked out Normal Man, it is fantastic. It is, a, it is the first time I had ever seen an entire series based on a man who grows up on a planet where everyone has superpowers. I've seen knockoffs of this in, in, in years since, but the first and the biggest and the boldest that approached it was, was Jim and his normal man is nothing short of fantastic. It's been reprinted multiple times. It's in a giant phone book collection. He then went on to do uh, an adaptation of, of some fantasy work called Myth Adventures. It, it had a humorous bent to it. He was transitioning into being a um, superhero artist, a straightforward superhero artist rather than more of a humor artist. And so when I met him, I picked up storytelling. He picked up some drawing techniques. He was able to, uh, I, he, we would talk his, the, the stuff that he was chasing, maybe some of the older artists that he was trying to emulate. He was seeing through me, the new guys that I was digging on, like the Art Adams, like the Mike Mignolas and, and the Kevin Maguires. And and he uh, started to siphon and understand what exactly I was taking from them. When you look at my work, obviously, I've said this before, the short kind of waists. Art Adams people have like short waists, long trunks, and, and long thighs, and long calves and ankles. And that part of my style, which we'll visit to when we, we wrap up talking style, you know, I was 
implementing the fastest and the hardest at that time because I just loved Art Adams' work. He didn't put out a whole lot of work. So whenever he put out any single job illustration cover, I would really dissect it as much as I possibly could because I really loved the way he made his figures look. The posing, the broad shoulders, the tiny waists, the short trunks, the long the, the long thighs, okay? So, um, man, it just, just some really fun times that Jim and I got to know each other and got to hang out and over meals and different, um, you know, shares and, and, and hanging out uh, at mutual friends' houses, we decided uh, that we should maybe look to get a studio. Well, Jim was much, you know, quite a bit older than I was. I, I, I believe Jim is about 15 years older than I, than I am. And, uh, and he had, at that point, he had five different children um, with his marriage to the beautiful Diane and uh, three from her previous marriage. And then he had his, the, the two that they had had together. And so I would go to their house. I watched the debut of Star Trek The Next Generation when it debuted in syndication in 1986-87, you know, give or take. I, I, the night that it happened, I was there. I was watching with Jim Valentino. I watched the debut of The Wonder Years after the Super Bowl. Uh, at Jim Valentino's house. I was doing life with Jim by this time. We got along. He would show me his comic collection. He'd pull out the Jack Kirby's. I've told you how influential he was in saying, you know, stop trying to do this and try and do this. Mentorship, guidance, it's important. It it matters. But because we were simpatico, because we got along, because we respected each other, it went so much farther and we got a studio. But the reason I bring up his extended age and his family is I knew that that studio probably needed to be closer to him if it was going to work, that's the key. So I decided that for the lease that we signed, I would go and be a part of Jim's studio uh, for those years of my life. And that was the year, two years that I was doing the New Mutants annual, the Spider-Man annual, the what if, and I started the New Mutants, okay? Um, there's another annual I left out there, uh, the, the, X, the X-Men and the X-Factor fill-ins. So about, you know, in terms of pages, 10 issues worth of pages because the annuals are all double-sized. The what-if was double-sized. And uh, during that time, Jim was really starting to book a lot more jobs. He got a bunch of what-ifs. He got fill-ins. Um, and again, those are double-sized. He got backup stories. He got Marvel Comics Present stories. And we were hanging out every day, six days a week. And the thing that I remember the most is all the knowledge that we shared. There were the times that we had to go to our respective corners, dig into our um, tables and do the work that we were going to do and get that work done. And in the in-between time, there was always lunch. There was always lunch. And wherever we walked to, wherever we drove to, those are some of the greatest times where the knowledge was was shared and, and the bonds were the deepest. And, uh, you know, those walks uh, four blocks up the street to 7-Eleven in the middle of the day to get a Slurpee, to get some candy, were some of the best talks Jim and I would go to the roof of the building that we had, and we would just have the very best time hanging out, looking over the roof, looking over Orange County, talking about current comic book situations, comic book personalities, storylines, dreams, all of it. So it was no um, surprise to anyone. It shouldn't have become a surprise to anyone when I was um, always uh, going to be doing something independent, which obviously became Image Comics, with Jim Valentino on board. We were tight. We were close. The reason that I left the studio literally was geography. My deadlines were getting more and more 
Harry. I was now doing a monthly book. I had done a five-issue miniseries. I had done a bunch of annuals and fill-ins. But as you guys have known from some of my earlier uh, podcast, when Todd McFarlane said, you're a... <clears throat> Hang on, let me, let me get this ready. <laughs> you're a Jack Robert! A Jack Robert! They can't find you! You keep jumping from bush to bush to bush! And, uh, man, did I take that to heart. And so I was now doing New Mutants 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, okay? And I am doing a monthly schedule, and it's a grind, and I am thinking that maybe I can spend that hour round trip to the studio uh, I could I could maybe make it closer to my house and get an office near my house. And it was really hard leaving Jim and leaving that time together because there is nothing but magic. There is no day that I don't remember not showing up to work alongside Jim and all the pages that came out of that studio. I can tell you every page that Jim Valentino drew. I can tell you every page that I drew. And the, the, the absolute fun time, the walks, the lunches, the rooftops, that made that so ridiculously special. That came about as a result of a networking. Jim was my first Orange County guy. I finally met him. We hung out. We had mutual friends. We talked. We did lunches. We did dinners. Eventually, we went into business together. And then we went into big business together in regards to Image Comics. So when it came time for me then to then give a shot to Marat and say, do you want to come up? Marat lived in LA. Power to him. Guy drove 45 minutes an hour each way every day. He had a sweet ride. Marat loved his nice cars. He can tell you what those cars were. I just remember they were shiny. They were sports cars. He would come. We would hang. It was the next evolution. Would Jim Valentino come and visit every once in a while? Yes. Would we go visit him? Yes. We were still trying to keep our Orange County network strong. But uh, by the time that the New Mutants was transitioning to X-Force, um, we had been receiving some mail from a guy named Dan Frega. He had been submitting his work, and when I would not take his calls, Marat would take his calls. They were the same age. They would talk comics. They would talk influences. Dan um, would show samples when we were in Oakland for store signings or for conventions. And Dan had a very aggressive energy, and um, but but he was fun. Um, it was it was a little too much for me, not for Marat, but because I was so completely focused. And Dan again is a very young teen, but when the time came. Marat really, really, um, really uh, campaigned on behalf of Dan, who, when I talked to Dan, he always made me laugh. Good personality, funny guy, had a thirst for knowledge, had a thirst for, uh, for learning. So what I would get with Marat eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, you know, what we would share and impart to each other, Dan wanted to accomplish those in 90-minute Phone calls. Dan was also very vocal in that he was calling Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, whomever he'd get on the phone. He got on the phone. Um, I was not taking all his calls. Like I said, Marat was. They were building a bond. Marat campaigned that I should give Dan a shot, that Dan had something going on. I knew it. I saw it. Again, what, what, what was leading the way was Dan's talent. I could see that he was looking at myself, Todd, Art Adams, Jim Lee, Mignola, everybody that I dug plus my peers. Of course he was. That's what we, what he was pulling off the stands. That's what, that's what was selling. We were all, again, these these kind of children of Arthur, Arthur Adams and Michael Golden and giving different iterations on that style. And uh, and Dan wanted to, you know, learn and advance and be a comic book artist from high school. And, and so when Marat uh, really campaigned hard to let him be a part of the studio, I relented. 
Dan uh, took things into his own hands. He got he rented a space over a store. He started, um, you know, uh, making the commute in. He he moved to Orange County, which was a big leap when he was young. You know, so, so now you got Marat driving up from Los Angeles, and now you've got Dan, who's relocated from Northern California. But the network worked. His network was more through Marat than through me. But as a result, he got into the studio on the ground floor. And everybody else who got in, got in because of their talent and their demeanor and the way that we would get along. How does this get to today's uh, social networking? I see people who, I know for myself, I get relentless messages. Um, Those messages that get uh, put in the wait file. Again, if you go on Instagram, there's your primary, your general, and then your requests. And I, I get I get plenty of, of, of all, as, as do I'm sure everybody. But I can't possibly ever be counted uh, to respond to all of these. Now, there are a couple guys who broke through. And here's the what's the ingredient? They broke through, broke through with their talent. Recently, right now, I'm talking to a couple guys, some pencilers, some inkers. The work is what shines through. Um... They understand I'm busy, that I can't get back to them immediately. I have the business of creating all these comics and managing the characters that I have in all different platforms. And then I'm a family man, first and foremost. And so, just like I did with Valentino, I went to him. He was the guy with the five kids in Garden Grove. I would drive to his house. I would hang out with him. I, I understood that I was single. I was 20. I could come and go as I please. He was. He had more responsibilities as a father, as a husband, in, in addition to what he was doing in the workforce, so um, in in the in the uh, in the digital realm, every Facebook message, every time you try and post in a group chat and try and get my attention or get fill in the blanks attention, don't make it me. Make it fill in the blank. I'm one of many, and we have made ourselves accessible because it's fun, and it's fun to be accessible and to broaden the conversations and to listen to more people and to talk to people on international shores. Now, some of the people that I'm talking to right now, they are on international shores. A couple of these guys, I I met one of them in England. I'm hoping to get some published work done with him because I think he deserves it. He's got the stuff. He just has to be patient. This is what networking, this is the benefits of networking. And this is my advice in the regards to, to, to networking. There are people who want to request store appearances, podcast appearances, uh, you know, convention appearances, when those get back going. Can you sign my comic? Can I send you Funko Pops right now? It's it's an entire myriad uh, of, of mazes that we're asked to navigate now. But at the, the end of the day, I have to get my work done. And I know that there is a guy like a Norm Ratman out there who I met at my comic book store in Fullerton at Comic Mania uh, in early 91. And Norm was a huge fan. He was buying all my work, New Mutants, X-Force. And he said he wanted to be an artist. He showed me his stuff. I, 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 he just had some faces and some awkward figures. He wasn't ready. He was young. He was younger than me. Um, but he did show me a couple things that he inked himself and I could see a very crisp, uh, a comprehension of line work of, 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 of a very controlled, clean line that he could master. Now he was inking in Sharpies and markers. So you can only imagine that I'm picking up the talent that this guy has for inking via, uh, you know what he's showing me on on a on a sketch pad, and I, I believe it's even a lined sketch pad. It's like a, more of a notepad. But he was very quiet as I you know discussed with him the possibilities and what I would do. And I told him right there because I didn't want to waste his time. I said I think you could be better off trying to ink. And then he's like, Well, what are the tools? 
Norm came to Extreme Studio in its absolute inception. We broke down the tools for him. They were hard. Croquels are very difficult in regards to getting that line out of. But he did it. He mastered it. He put it to work. He made it work for him. It was a hard year of him learning. But now the Norm Ratman that inks, you know, was on salary, was an exclusive to DC for the last 20 years and inked everybody from, you know, uh, Dan Jurgens to, 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 to Greg Capullo and everybody in between, okay? Norm Ratman's inked me. He's inked, I mean, Todd Knock. I, my mind is blank because I'm overwhelmed by all the images that I'm seeing. Ian Churchill. Norm, uh, you know, is, is a great inker. He is um, one of the one of the most successful inkers in the business of inking of the last 20 years. And and I watched him grow. I watched him pick up his first croquil and drag it across the board because that croquil and that that drag of that ink and controlling that nib in order to get the flex that gives you the thin line and the, th- and the thick line, that is something that has to be taught. It is very difficult. It is why most people give it up. He stayed with it. He inked Marat. I put the two rookies together. They made magic. They made brigade for me and did that comic book under my direction. And, and, I, and I watched characters that I created depicted by these two young rookies. And occasionally I'd go in there and I'd, I'd apply some polish. And there were occasionally where I went in and I said to Norm, you've got to understand that on this side of the body, the light is shining less than it is over here. That's why your lines are thicker over here and they're thinner over here. And there's the addition of shadows and it goes beyond, it it goes so much beyond the actual rendering. And so I saw Norm and, and his networking was, again, he approached me. It was respectful. It was quiet. It wasn't a busy function. It was a really open day at the comic store, really late afternoon. He showed me his work. Um, I made an appointment for him to come in to my studio. He met everybody. He got along with everybody. He, again, what what is what is what unites all of us? All of this that I've discussed today, whether it's Jerry Ordway, Mike Zek, George Perez, Marat, Norm, they're chill. They are chill. They're easy to be around. They're hard workers. They 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 they, they they're sponges. Okay, and sometimes your networks can change. A guy named Carl Alstetter. I I knew him for, through a mutual friend. Carl was very talented. He could wield a mean ink line. He had some penciling skills. He started off up in San Diego from driving like Marat does from LA. He added an extra two hours to his commute, would spend nights sometimes at the very first homage studios that was opened by Will Sportaccio, Scott Williams, and Jim Lee. And Carl was the background artist and the assistant inker. And I was flipping through the pages of the Jim Lee um, artist edition that came out recently. And I was, you know, looking over those and and, and checking them out and seeing that, like, remembering all of the different things that Carl showed me that he either drew in terms of technology, sleds. A lot of Carl's um, tech is on uh, on display in that first chapter. I don't know the exact issue, but the first chapter of Extinction Agenda um, that... uh, that that Jim draws, and when the uh, Genosians attack, and all that tech, that, that 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 tech armor, all those sky sleds, that's stuff that all that Carl drew in as an assistant. He got in as Scott Williams' assistant, and then became Jim's pencil assistant. But at some point, there was a falling out, and Carl ended up coming to extreme, where he spent many years, drew, inked, storytold, layouts, the whole nine. We put Carl to work. Carl was a really great talent that for whatever reason wasn't being um, as utilized as he possibly could be. Did he bring some fun stories with him too? Sure. 
But that's not why he came. He, he got into the studio. He got into the studio on the basis of his inking, his drawing, his technique, his ability as a storyteller. And we had a great relationship that lasted the better part of a decade. I love Carl. We, we jammed a couple years ago on Bloodstrike again. I intend to work with Carl again, just like I continue to continue to work. I, can, I intend to continue to work with Frega and Marat and all these guys. But the networking begins with the talent. If you're a writer and you're listening to this, I'm sorry. You have to get an artist and create work. And then, you know, portray, you know, uh, uh, c- communicate what part of that work that you're responsible for. But Carl Allstetter, again, cut his teeth as an assistant to Wills and Jim and Scott. Um, and, 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 and the work was there. The technique was there. The applications he learned, his, his inking craft from Scott. Scott benefited from the fact that he could do many of the things that I was saying Marat did for me. Carl was doing in terms of, you know, lining pages, spotting blacks, making Xeroxes, whatever. But Carl had aspirations greater than that in the exact same way that Marat had aspirations greater than that. And so the assistant, you know, at, at some point, you know, the, the, the apprentice is ready. And, 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 and I have been fortunate to have many different, um, great interactions, whether it's Dan Frege, who is campaigned by Marat to come to extreme or my connection with Carl through a mutual friend named Chuck, who recommended that I get familiar with Carl's work. So that by the time when Carl showed up, I had been following Carl. I had been following the trajectory of his work. I knew what he was capable on his own. I knew what he had done in his capacity as an assistant. Now, how he got into that job and that network is his story to tell because I don't know that. But I know that somehow he found his way into Omaha Studios for a few years and that that networking um, paid off for him. Did he end up doing the majority of his work with me? He did. And it was great. And I loved it. And we, like I said, we did tons of blood strike with him and, and, and many more issues and jobs to follow. He was the entire toolbox for our studio. All of that is a result of the networking. What does Carl have? Carl has the chill. That's, that's my thing. Okay. I guess that's the communicate. That's the, the, the connective tissue of all of this, but the, uh, the, the most important, um, part of, of, of what I'm sharing is it's patience. Nothing happens overnight. Sometimes things take time and it's how you're going to accept that window of time, you know, um, learning. I, I, I thought I was going to get hired the day I graduated high school. It, it happened a year and a half later, but you know, it was on my timetable that I, for me to learn and, 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 and to advance. But those, do, those opportunities, they take time. When I got hired by Marvel, you know, they didn't have anything for me other than the Marvel Universe handbook pages. And so, you know, then I just sat and I waited for DC to decide whether I could do Hawk and Dove, which I've, you know, gone through with you guys. It took some time, but, and, and was that some, some free time that I wasn't get paid, wasn't getting paid because I didn't have work to do. And if I, you don't have work to do, you can't voucher for pages. So you can be in the industry, but you can have no work. And I had to exercise patience, the same patience so many of you will have, are going to, in whatever field you're going to break into, whether it's screenwriting, directing, producing, for our intents and purposes of this podcast, making comic books, okay? And and the, uh, the, the perseverance reveals your character, and then what you do with that reveals the execution of the execution of the work will determine where your you know career trajectory takes you, and uh, you know that that's an entire other podcast on instinct. But this one, first and foremost, 
we talked and discussed the extents of networking today. And networking is key. And I've seen some of you guys who want me to hire you on the spot. I've seen you at other people's tables who don't understand why you're being rebuffed. Look, it always, talent wins every argument. It is the overwhelming. I have given jobs to complete assholes. I have, I have given giant salaries to gigantic assholes because the talent was there. I kept them on. I dealt with them as long as I could, as difficult and as demanding as they were because I wanted what was going to come out of that pencil or out of that nib, okay? And and I paid, you know, fair, better better than fair market value for it. So so I felt good about my role in it and I and I I rolled with the dice because the talent was there. So so as I share this with you, I started this 45 minutes ago telling you that talent wins all the arguments. Talent is what makes the connection. Talent is what will get you noticed. From there, you have to network. You have to better, you know, uh, conduct the way that you um, conduct your network, okay? You have to be respectful, be kind, be patient, and above all, be a professional. And so so today we touched a little on the networking of things. And I, I mean, from Marat, to Dan, to Norm, to Carl. Those are four of hundreds of stories from my stories with Jerry and Mike and George and Jim Valentino. Those are great stories of positive networking and all that they yielded me. But in this digital age, be polite. Don't crash the gate. Don't ring the doorbell too often. And just know that maybe after a few rings, I mean, I don't know how you guys are. When I ring a friend now, I give it like three rings and I hang up. I don't do eight rings. I don't do nine rings. Because that's annoying. They're, they're probably not going to pick up by the third ring and they can call you back, okay? Learn and exercise that in your networking. You know, a message a day or a, hey, I'm not going to, hey man, I'm not going to call you back or I won't bug you again, but dot, dot, dot. And then 10 minutes later, or or let's just say even two hours later, hey man, I didn't, I didn't know if you're busy, but I wanted to, I wanted to contact you, and but, but 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 I know you're busy and I, I, I'll try not to bug you again. And that evening, hey man, are you around? Those Word balloons, those texts, those DMs, they pop up in a in front of us. They make a noise, as you know. Even if we can turn the DMs off, a lot of the times those things get reactivated, and eventually, it's it's it really does fall. Don't don't be somebody who who harasses. Okay, if if the door knocks aren't being knocked or aren't being answered, move on to the next. You may have a greater connection somewhere else, and then you can be that guy that somebody passed on, and 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 your fuel can be, you know, that that you felt you fell to number 42nd in the draft or you felt you fell to 130 in the draft you know and that can be your motivation okay but but be polite be respectful this digital age dms adding you know requests um you know all of the different messaging functions don't abuse them be be polite take that into real life would you really sit and pound on that guy's table at a show um how, how successful how far would that get you and talent always leads and talent leads leads and wins every argument. And again, with to writers, what I want to say is Robert Kirkman did it the best that anyone I'd ever seen. He conducted his own stories. He he combined with artists. He created these books. He submitted them. They told a comic book story. Comic books are about pictures first and foremost. Your ideas may be driving those pictures, but that's up to you to communicate when you present those pictures to whatever publisher that you want or to, to work with and or publish you. Okay. Writers have to make comics. When I heard that it's harsh, but for 20 years, I've realized, no, it's true. You've got to show us 
essentially a comic book. No one is going to have time to read your script. That is not how something is going to be connected. You have to get with an artist. You have to create a finished page of art, five-page, six-page sequence, and then you have to submit it, and that's where your networking can begin. I'm going to close out today with styles because I love to talk about styles, and lately my own kids, my sons, talk to me. My, 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 my son Chase is really into anime and manga, and he's picking up on all the different styles within the anime and the manga world, obviously, which is extremely dense much more so than even American comics. There's so much to, you know, choose from. And he was talking about styles and my styles. And today I was asked if I was checking on some, I was I was following a certain comic, you know, uh, and what I thought of it. And the first thing I thought of is, no, I, I actually saw previews of that comic and I won't be following that comic because that comic is drawn from life to the point where the guy is essentially tracing photos. And my thing is, I don't want to be tracing photos, okay? Um... The, uh, I just go, uh, I, I really can't be tracing, you know, uh, photos and, and being entertained by it. I don't understand why, like the, the, the photographs in, take a photo. If you, if you, if what you're drawing is something that you took a photo of, it's going to make it more difficult for me to be entertained by that. Now there are plenty of photo referenced artists, much more so now in the last 20 years than there were before, especially with the, the advent of the Cintiq and, and all this di- these digital tools where you can literally trace photos for six, seven, eight panels a page. I like more stylistic representation. I like to see what's not a photo. The guy who does photo referencing the best is Alex Ross, and he shows you how he photo reference. He creates costumes, all that stuff, maybe real-life outfits for the characters to be portrayed as, but I'm going to tell you, that's not why I like Alex Ross. He knows that you know that he is giving you photo referenced work. He shows it to you. He's not hiding behind it. What Alex mastered was color, texture, um, um, a very stylistic way in which he applies his different strokes, but more so than anything, it is Alex's mastery of color that draws my attention each and every shot and also composition and layout. Above all else, that is why I love Alex Ross's stuff. So much so that sometimes I forget that some of that is photo ref now because the composition and the layout and then the the brilliant color that he applies is what grabs our attention and has for 30 plus years. A lot of these guys who are literally depicting panel after panel painstakingly of stuff that they clearly had models pose as, I just, my head says, why am I not just looking at photos then? I I don't, that's not my appeal. Now, is there a place for it? Of course there is. Of course there is. It's not my place to say whether, you know, it's good or bad. It's just not for me. I don't prefer it. I love styles. John Byrne had big eyes. He had smooth, not overly detailed um, figures. He would load up, you know, especially in a, in a circuitry type setting or machines, load up, you know, on that stuff, um, backgrounds and circuitry. But then his, his females, especially, and, and his males, especially on the Fantastic Four, were very open and not terribly, you know, detailed, but the gesture and the strength of the ink line would tell the story. But what I loved about John Byrne was his faces. And his women always had these big anime manga eyes from the very beginning, going back to 1975, 76, 77. He always drew very strong men. And if they were hairy, they were so hairy. But he had a style as a storyteller as well. Art Adams, I've talked about it. Very tight, constipated people, tight, constipated faces. I like that stuff. I draw my, my people tight and constipated as a result. 
Um, George Perez, I loved all the detail, all the little tiny details he put in. How he'd pull back and draw like 50 characters standing around and, and draw all of the details on each of them. There was an artist early in my career who said, Here, did, I know how much you love that Perez stuff. Do some of that. I did some penciling, uncredited penciling assistant work. And, I, and he said, do, do these crowd scenes like Perez. I hate doing those. And I did them. It was fun. It was fun. I, it was a fun way to help a friend out. Um, I also love G- George's inking line, okay? Uh, I like John Buscema's figures, the power in his figures. The, 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 and, 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 and even though he draws very much from life, it's not photorealistic. And he has a wide variety of different faces and noses and mouths and scowls and yells. And style is what sets us apart. It is what we instinctively, um, and, and I will never ab- abandon my style. I, I've, w- there are occasions when I draw from photos and people will tell me, why don't you do this all the time? But because I don't want to, to draw things that you could take a photo of. When I occasionally draw from a photo, what my fun is, is applying a rendering technique on top of that photo that hopefully makes it unique to me. But of course, it still is photorealistic, okay? I am using photo reference. So, you know, God bless you. Photo reference is great. It's, it's, it, depending on how you depict it, like Al Tross does with his brilliant mastery of the color wheel and, and color choices that are just outstanding that no one else makes that make his work so distinct. That's the kind of stuff I love. But Jack Kirby had bold, blocky, um, really powerful figures and forms. Oh, his staging, splash page after splash page. The way he'd crop figures standing around. Maybe it was a low worm's eye view. Maybe it was a bird's eye view. Just his expansive double pagers. Their style that goes beyond the the actual drawing into, again, the layout, the composition, and the storytelling. But Walt Simonson was very sharp and edgy and everything was angular. The thing I think about Walt Simonson is angular. His work is so angular. And I love that. I love the sharp angular lines and his wicked hatching that was very uh, uh, inspired by an artist called Topi. Topi. And, 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 and you could see this overabundance of rendering lines. And uh, a guy like Frank Miller, Gil Kane. Again, Frank and Gil go hand in hand early on with this very Bern Hogarth figure, uh, emphasis on, on the figure doing all the storytelling. So much of Frank and Gil's pages are designed around the movement of the figure. That's a style. Now Frank has transitioned almost to an underground artist, and I dig it equally as much. He he almost is closer to what Robert Crumb was doing than Gil Kane in his heyday. And and it's not as as it's almost like Jack Kirby and, and Robert Crumb had, had a baby towards the end of the Sin City stuff. And it's brilliant and I love it and I pursue it. And anytime Frank puts a, puts a line down, I have to have it. I love that he has never sat still and he's one of the more, more bold artists in our field who is unafraid to, to experiment with style and, 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 and not just drawing styles, inking styles, textures. But the, the Daredevil, you could literally put Frank Miller Daredevil in front of me and Frank Miller Sin City and I would not know they're the same guy. And now, whatever he's doing right now I would also not register as even the same guy that was doing Sin City. So styles are what is unique and what you bring to the dance 
that is unique to yourself. If you look at my work and you see Kirby and Art Adams and Mike Mignola and Frank Frazetta and John Buscema and John Byrne, that's right. That's what I brought to the table. I combined them all. I jammed them all together. When I look at a guy like Jim Lee, and, 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 and again, I've seen people confuse Barry Windsor Smith art and call it Jim Lee. I've seen people take Art Adams' X-Men art and put it up and criticize it as if it because they believe it's a drawing that I did. Oh, this Rob Liefeld art. And I'm like, that's not me. That's Art Adams. Or somebody with Barry Windsor Smith. And I'm like, that's not, they, they, they say it's Jim Lee. It's not Jim, that's Barry Windsor Smith. We all bring our different uh, uh, styles to bear. A- again, getting back to the Jim Lee artist edition, I was, I was flipping through it and they were mentioning his different styles that he, that he started off drawing like John Byrne on Alpha Flight. And they're saying, well, he was doing that because John Byrne had you know, created Alpha Flight and those were his characters and he was reflecting that. Well, when he got to Punisher War Journal, the primary um, influence that Jim was giving you in Punisher War Journal was Kevin Nolan. Kevin Nolan had done some really terrific jobs, an Outsider's Annual, some uh, a, a myriad of Punisher covers, Moon Knight covers, Doctor Strange covers, and Jim was, so many of his Punisher, his Frank Castle faces were Kevin Nolan referenced and he was really going deep into the lighting and the rendering of a Kevin Nolan. When he gets onto X-Men, now he's carrying with that 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 John Byrne and that Kevin Nolan and a little Art Adams. But then when he starts getting into X-Men, you can see he is pursuing some Barry Windsor Smith. He is pursuing, you know, some Paul Smith, the two Smiths combined, especially in the women. And, and he's expanding his scope. And of course, we've talked about how when Jim did Batman, he incorporated heavy aspects of Frank Miller and mixed it up a little with Marshall Rogers and Neil Adams and, 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 and styles change and morph and they, and, 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 and they alter. And that's the beauty of, of, of watching artists create and make their work. And I always love when I can see the influence in the work. I can, I can see where George Perez early in his career was so heavy into Jack Kirby. And then he got out of that and, and expanded into other different realms. Like I could see him picking up from everyone along the way. When he was doing Wonder Woman, I saw that he was incorporating a lot of what Walt Simonson had been doing on Thor. There and that and 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 what's it and who's it. I mean, it, it's, it's all just so fun to watch and combine. But I wanted to touch on styles. Again, in the anime and the manga world, looking at it through my son's eyes and seeing how different My Hero Academia looks than Attack on Titan. I, I, I prefer the look of Attack on Titan for certain aesthetic reasons. So much so, it's very weapon-oriented, but I also like the way the faces are drawn. There's a certain style of face. Faces are the easiest way to, to, to denote a style. It's the easiest way to see style. And, uh, you know, because we that, that that's what we walk through the, the door with, our faces. And that's what we illustrate with and where the, the, the window of the soul is the face. And again, John Byrne, those big eyes on all these women, Sue Richards, Jean, Jean Grey, Storm, I mean, that, that was a real signature for him. And big hair. He loved the big wavy hair. You guys, I love styles. And, and, I, and, and, and I could discuss this all day long. We ran a little long today. I hope you enjoyed it. Networking. You got to have the talent to break down the barrier. And then you got to know how to conduct yourself. And then the digital age, I believe the rules are still the same. The tools are different, but the rules are the same. Be respectful. Be kind. Be patient. Persevere. And, uh, and improve your skills, your talent, whatever it is, so that you will be more noticed and more people will want to work with you. But if behind that is someone who is difficult, argumentative, hot-tempered, it's going to end real fast for you. 
And that's just my, as blunt as I can possibly be. Everybody, I hope that you have the, just the best rest of your day, wherever you're at when you're listening to this. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for recommending me to your friends, getting the word of mouth out there on observations. I appreciate it so much. Um, on social media, I am at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. Full name, Robert Liefeld. I am at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. I'm all over social media, Facebook. Seek me out. I'm around. Um, do not send me 100 DM messages asking me if, if we can talk uh, and, and I can share your... your just let, let's be a little more respectful. Let's, let's, let's take that networking to, 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 to heart and, uh, and be kind and be friendly and be patient. And uh, so, so seek me out on social media. Say hi. You know the drill. You are going to take care of yourself. You're going to stay safe. Please do. And we will talk again real soon. 